0: Welcome, to Riverside. So glad uh, all of you are here in the house today. Good to see so many of you here, and I know we have uh, those who are joining us for church online. So thank you to all of you who are joining us from wherever you are. As we continue through this month of January, we're leaning into this idea that Jesus is life, and and I want to make sure we're we're clear about the message here because not what we're suggesting suggesting, is not that Jesus is the way to a better life or Jesus is the way to the best life? Like I believe all that, but that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that Jesus is the only way to experience life. Jesus is the way to real life. Jesus is the only answer for you to experience true life. Like a lot of people are living, but they're not really alive. And and what we're saying is that this is what we, we believe. That the only way for you to really be alive, the only way to experience real life is to follow the way of Jesus. And we believe that we're not only called to live that life, but we're invited into a different way of living that leads to really living. And all throughout this month, every week we've gathered, we've, we've sort of repeated these words together, this, this statement of faith, this, this mission for our church. And I want us to read these words again together today. If you're in the room, let's read these out loud together. If you're watching online, feel free to read them as well along with us. But let's read these words together as we begin again today. We are the body of Christ, called to live different to invite people to come together, invest in each other, and engage in what matters most because of Jesus. We've talked about these words every week this month. And, and I don't know about you, but I, I love this mission. I love this vision. I love this statement of faith. I love I love that we we are called to invite people to come together, especially right now in a world that is so divided. And we do that not because... Not because of any other reason except that we're following Jesus and Jesus himself was an inviter. He often invited people to come and to follow him. And what we want to do is we want to invite people to come and follow Jesus as well. Yes, we want to invite people to come and to experience what life is like here at Riverside. To experience what life is like when you're you're following Jesus together with a group of people who are striving to live a different kind of life. But we want to live this invitational lifestyle. That's inviting people to to come together in a world that's so divided. And we want to invite people to come and, and be a part of a church family that wants to invest in each other's lives. Everyone in the room probably has a story of somebody who somewhere along the way made a difference in your life. They came along at just the right time. And in a critical moment, at an important moment in your life, they came along beside you and they, they, they spoke wisdom into your life, grace into your life, love into your life, guidance into your life. They came along and they helped you in a time of need and they made, they made an investment in you that made an eternal difference. And we want to do that for each other. We want to be the kind of church that's looking for opportunities to make an eternal investment in each other's lives, in our children's lives, to to have that eternal impact in the lives of each other. And and those things are so important, life-changing even. But, But I'll be honest, they fall flat if we somehow miss this final piece. Someone once said it this way, Learn to live your life in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. Think about that. Learn to live your life in such a way that those who know you but don't know God will come to know God because they know you. How do you do that? There's a story. uh, It was November 28th, I'm sorry. November 28, 1979, a sightseeing flight left New Zealand at the Auckland Airport on a sightseeing trip to Antarctica. This was the 14th flight they had done like this. There were 237 passengers, another 20 crews, so about 257 people total. The idea is they, they leave the airport that morning at 8 a.m. They'll be back by 9 p.m. There's a tour guide on the plane, like on the intercom. And so as they're flying over Antarctica, they'll point out different sights you can see. And everyone that day was so excited to see things with their very own eyes that most people on the planet would never get to see or experience themselves. What they didn't know was that as they got on the plane that morning, and this was unbeknownst to the pilots through no fault of their own, that somehow as the coordinates were entered into the flight computer, they were two degrees off. Now, I'm not that good at math. I'm not that smart. People much smarter than me have done the math and figured this out. And I'm actually going to read this to you so I don't mess this up. But they say... They say that for every one degree a plane veers off course, it misses its target destination for one mile for every 60 miles you fly. That sounds like a big word problem. Some of you I just lost. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Here's the idea. Uh, The farther you travel, uh, the farther away you are from your intended destination. We all get that, right? So they did the math on this. And just think about it this way. Uh, For 100 yards, if a plane were to fly 100 yards, we can visualize that. It's a football field, Right then you're, you would be, the plane would be 5.2 feet off its course, right? So from, from me to, to Jacob and Sarah here, that's how far off course they would be about that far, all right? But if a plane were to travel one mile, it would be some 92.2 feet off course. Now that may be harder to visualize. So I've got Will here. Will's got this, um, this tape measuring device on a wheel. I don't know who created this. Best invention ever. So we Will, just start right here and start walking towards the back of the room. And tell me when you get to 92.2 feet. So he's, he's going to measure this off. For a plane to travel one mile and to be one degree off course, by the time it completed one mile, it will be 92.2 feet off course. Let me get, are you there yet? I know if you're watching online, you can't see this. He's at the back of the room. He's all the way. Some of you can't see because there's a barrier there. Are you, What are you at, Will? So he's at 80 feet and he's got to the back wall. He's not even there yet. So 92.2 feet would be somewhere out in the foyer probably, right? That's how far you would be off course. Again, in the airplane, if you've traveled one mile, you might not even realize you're off course. But, but for every, every mile you travel, that's how much farther off course you become. Thank you, Will. I know a lot of us aren't pilots in the room today, so we don't, we don't think about it in those terms. But I think all of us understand what it's like to get off course, right? If some of you, January 1st, uh, rolled around and you made some New Year's resolutions. Now we're 23 days into 2022, and some of you have already given up on those New Year's resolutions. You know, we've already gotten sidetracked. We've already gotten off course. Some of those things that we thought we would do. For whatever reason, just haven't happened the way that we thought that they would. We're, we're only, you know, three weeks into the new year and we were already gotten off course. And for the rest of us, for those of us who didn't make New Year's resolutions, we probably began the year thinking, yeah, this year I, I, I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better mother. I want to be, you know... I want to to be healthier. I want to exercise more. I want to eat better. Maybe you said as the new year began, I want to get closer to God. I want to feel closer to God. So I want to I spend more time in prayer. I want to spend more time, you know, reading scripture. I want to make sure I'm, I'm at church more this year. These are the things. You know, what's interesting is that most of the time we know what to do. We know what direction we need to move in in order to stay on course. But what happens for so many of us, is that over time we get distracted. Over time we, we find ourselves veering off course, maybe only by one degree or two degrees. And, and for a lot of us we don't even realize it's happening. And the truth is, is we live in a world where so many people have given up on Christianity. Why? It's not because of Jesus. Hardly anybody has a problem with Jesus. Even people that don't think Jesus is the Messiah or the Savior of the world, they think he was a a wise person and a good teacher. They don't have a problem with anything he ever said or anything that he ever did. Why why have they given up on Christianity? It's not because of Christ. It's because of Christians. It's because somewhere along the way we got off course. Maybe only by one degree or maybe only by, by two degrees, but somehow, somewhere along the way, we've forgotten what Jesus taught us. We've forgotten how he taught us to live as disciples. And over time, we've, we've gotten off track, off course, off target. And, and the problem is, is now we, we live in a world where people who know us, who don't know God, may never even get to know God. And that's a problem. Or they may have a negative view of God because they know us. And that's a problem too. How, how do we learn to live our lives in such a way? That people who know us but don't know God would come to know God because they know us. The good news is Jesus answered that question right before he went to the cross. He wanted his disciples and he wanted every disciple and every generation to understand, hey, this is how you stay on course. Even when things are difficult, even when you don't know what the future holds, even when things aren't working out the way that you thought they would, this is the answer to the question, how do you stay on on course in every season, in every circumstance, in every situation. If you have your your, your Bibles or the U Version Bible up this morning, I'd love for you to open up to John chapter thirteen. In John thirteen, we find Jesus uh, in an upper room, gathered with his closest disciples, and they're there for the Passover meal. and And what happens in 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 this moment, what should have happened in this moment, what happens in every moment like this is whenever they gather together for a meal, especially a meal like the Passover meal, is there would be a, a servant in the room who would come around before you started dinner to wash everyone's feet. And I know for some people that may sound strange. That's not something that we do. Why would they do that? And you have to remember, they've spent all day walking around these hot, dirty, dusty Judean roads, right? And at the end of the day, their feet are just dirty and they stink. And and when you sat down for dinner, you didn't sit down at a table like we sit down at a table. The table's on the floor, so you're literally reclining on the floor at a table. It's not uncommon. not just to see someone's feet, but to smell someone's feet, which is the last thing that you want to see or smell before you eat dinner. So a servant would come around with a basin of water and a towel and wash everyone's feet. Jesus is now in this room with his disciples. It's time for the Passover meal, but there's no servant. So what does Jesus do? John 13, verse 3, John writes, Jesus, knowing that the Father... Had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus did the one thing that nobody in the room expected him. To do. Jesus, undeniably and undisputedly, the greatest person in the room, the rabbi, the teacher, Lord. The one person who should not have gotten up from the table, rose from the table, took off his outer garments and took the position, the place of a servant. The disciples in this moment, literally speechless, stunned. He gets around to Peter, and Peter resisted, but Jesus insisted, and he goes ahead and washes his his feet and everyone else's feet in the room. Jesus served these disciples in love in this moment. He did the dirty job that no one else wanted to do, even knowing. Think about this. Jesus knew that one of those around the table would betray him that night. Jesus knew in just a few hours another one of them would deny that he even knew him, not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus knew that every disciple in that room that he had spent the last three years of his life, would all but one of them would abandon him at the cross. I don't know about you, but whenever I know that someone is going to hurt me, the last thing I want to do is serve them or love them. I'm just going to be honest. We've talked about this before. Hurt people hurt people. When you know someone's going to hurt you, it's like encoded in our DNA to to hurt them back. But this is not the way that Jesus taught his disciples. In this moment, right before Jesus is going to face the cross, right before these disciples betray, deny, and abandon him, he takes a towel and a basin of water and he serves them in love. And he teaches them with these words. In verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, when you love each other this way, when you love others this way, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do, how do we live in a way So that people who don't know Jesus will come to know Jesus because they know us. This is how we do it. By serving one another in love. And Jesus is understanding in this moment what's about to happen. He understands he is literally hours away from the cross. Which means these disciples that he spent the last three years with, they're about to go through the hardest time in their life. They're about to see the man that they've followed, that they've given up everything for. Betrayed, arrested, put on trial, convicted of crimes that he did not commit, beaten to within one inch of his life, a cross put on his back, nails put in his hands and his feet, executed before their very eyes. Even in this moment, they're sitting in an upper room in some unknown place in the city of Jerusalem, and everyone in the room is fully aware there are people outside those four walls looking for Jesus because they want to kill him. They're scared. They're confused. They're worried. They're afraid. What does Jesus say? John 14, verse 1, he says this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I want you to know that in my father's house, there's so many rooms. If it it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. And I'm going to take you to be with myself that where I am, you may be also. And by the way, you know, you know the way to where I'm going. Don't be afraid. Keep believing in God. Keep believing in me. Even when it doesn't make sense, even when you're confused, even when you're afraid, even when you're worried, even when you're concerned, even when you're stressed to the max and you don't know what's going to happen next, don't let your hearts be troubled. But the problem is they are confused. They are afraid, they are worried, they are fully aware that there are people right now looking for them and looking for Jesus so they can arrest him and kill him. So Thomas speaks up and he says, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? How, do, how can we know the way? How do we know how to stay on course when, when we don't even know what's going to happen to you or happen to us? Happen next, and Jesus responds with these words. He says, "I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life." What What does this way look like that leads to life? Jesus just showed him. It, it looks like washing feet. What does the way looks like? What does the way look like that leads to life? This is what it looks like. It, it looks like you serving one another in love. It looks like self-sacrifice. You know, by the way, what you're about to find out, Thomas, is it's going to look like a cross. It's going to look like you laying down your life for those around you. And if you don't know the way, if you're confused about which way to go, if you're wondering how do you stay on course when you don't know what to do, this is the way it's counterintuitive. It's upside down. This is the way it works in the kingdom of God. It's inside out. But this is how you do it. This is how you stay on course. I'm going to show you and I'm going to tell you. This is it. You serve each other in love. And this morning I just want to bring us back to this question. Have you gotten off course? Have you gotten off course? Maybe by one degree. Maybe just about two degrees. It, it seems small. It doesn't even seem significant. But have you? Have you gotten off course? That flight, Flight 901 from Auckland Airport, that left New Zealand that day at 8 a.m., was supposed to return at 9 p.m., but it, it never made it home. Jim Collins was the pilot for that flight, the captain. Uh, he was unaware through no fault of his own that the coordinates entered into the computer were two degrees off. So they had no idea as they entered into Antarctica that they were 28 miles from where they thought they were. Uh, As they got into Antarctica, they began to descend. They wanted to let people look out the windows and see where they are. And and the tour guide was ready to give them some instructions. Look out over here and you'll see this. Look over here and, and you'll see this. But there were a lot of clouds that day. The sun was also shining bright and there was snow Everywhere, And as they came through the clouds, they realized they really couldn't see anything. It's what's known, it's a phenomenon known as a sector whiteout. Everything just blended together. It was as if they were staring right into the sun. The pilots couldn't make out the horizon. Everything was just white. There, 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 was, there was nothing to see. It was, just, it was just white. They thought they were flying over open water at McMurdo Sound, but in fact... They were not. They were 28 miles from their target destination. What they didn't know was that they were on a collision course with Mount Erebus. They didn't realize that until all of a sudden the alarms started going off on the plane. These alarms, these warning signals saying you're you're too close to the terrain. They're scrambling trying to figure out what's going on. Where are we? What, you know, what... What's happening? And they start trying to pull up to get around whatever it is that's in front of them. They don't even know at this point, but by then it's too late. And within seconds, they collide into Mount Erebus. And all 257 people die instantly. Two degrees. Two degrees off course. Small actions over a long period of of time can make a tremendous difference in where we end up. And I know right now it doesn't seem like a big deal to be just a little bit off course. I know right now it didn't seem like a big deal. I mean, I'll, uh, tomorrow I'm going to do better. Tomorrow I'm going to pray more. Tomorrow I'm going to spend more time in Scripture. Tomorrow I'm going I'm to do those things that I've committed to do so I'll, I'll feel closer to God. Tomorrow... Tomorrow I'm gonna I'm gonna be a better parent. I'm gonna spend more time with my son or my daughter. We're gonna have those conversations that really matter. Conversations about them becoming a Christian, making Jesus their Lord and Savior. Tomorrow we're gonna do that. The truth is we got a lot going on right now. We've got another recital. We got another big test coming up. Another big tryout. Another. But we're gonna get to that tomorrow. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna start giving more to the church. I know we haven't done that like we should, and and we need to, and we're going to. But we've still got a little debt to pay off, and we gotta make those repairs. But we're gonna get around to it really really soon. Tomorrow we're going we're gonna to make that phone call. We're going to get more involved at church. There's more things that we could be and should be doing. I know there was a time when we were really involved. But here lately we haven't been involved. But we can get more involved. We just need to do it. We've got time. We can make it happen. And, and what happens is all those good intentions left undone leave us way off course. And we wake up one day. And it, it, it's like we're on a collision course with a mountain. And we're worried and we're wondering, is it too late? Have I waited too long to make those course corrections to get my life back on track? To be who I always wanted to be? The good news is that because, and this is really good news. The good news is that because of what God has done for us through Jesus, it's never too late. I can say that with a thousand percent confidence because as Jesus was literally dying on the cross, he looks at a thief who was on the cross next to him and he makes him this promise, today you'll be with me in paradise. I don't tell you that story so that you'll wait till your deathbed to make things right with God. But I say it because this is an example of the grace of God. It's never too late. It's not like you can ever go so far that you can't come home. There's nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. This is the grace of God. It's never too late to make those course corrections. And if you're wondering, how do I do that? This is where it's counterintuitive. This is where it doesn't make sense. It's upside down. It's inside out. And I can't really explain this. It's a mystery. But it's true. It's not just true in the church. It's not just true for Christians. It's true for everyone in the world and people outside of our faith have discovered this. Because it's a universal truth. This is the way God created us. Anytime you're looking at your, back, your life back on course, this is how you do it. You do it by finding someone to serve and love. To take whatever power you have, whatever resources you have, whatever talents you you have, whatever you have at your disposal that you can use, and you put that up under someone else to serve them, to help them, to benefit them. Whenever you do that, you always walk away feeling like things are back on center. Why? Because this is what Jesus taught us. This is how we do it. This is how we not only stay on course, this is how we get back on course. We serve those around us in love. You you, you stay on the course before you by serving those around you. And what you find over and over again is this is the way to experience life, real life. This is how you engage in what matters most, but this is also how you engage in eternal life. And I wonder today, like, who do you know? Who do you know that you could go and wash their feet? Not literally, <laughs> but who do you know today that you could serve? Who do you know today that you could help? Who do you know today that you could come alongside and encourage, bless, bless? help support benefit put an arm around do something for them and do it because you know when you do you're doing it because you want to serve and you want to love and you want them to experience in their life what you've experienced in your life the grace of God I've said it before and I'll say it again I don't know I I, I think we're probably never more like Christ than when we serve when you do for someone else what they cannot do for themselves. That's what Jesus did for us at the cross. And when he did that, it did not, by the way, end in death. It ended in life, not just life, resurrection life. And whenever you serve those around you with that kind of sacrificial love, what it ends ends up for you is the same experience. What you experience in your heart, in your soul, in your being, what you experience is resurrection life. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. What does that way look like that leads to life? Here's the truth. It's serving those around you. with Sacrificial love. Church, if you would, let's stand. Sometimes I wonder uh, if we're not self-sacrificing, if we're not serving those around us in love, are we really even following Jesus? I don't know. I don't know much about flying planes either, but I do know a little bit about just vehicles in general. I know whenever I'm driving my, my truck around town, just one small turn of the wheel changes the entire direction of my truck. And I wonder today what's one small move you could make to get back on course? And the good news is we already have the answer it's just find a way to serve somebody around you in love. And when you do, as you do, what you will experience is life and not just life, but resurrection life, not just resurrection life, eternal life. And as we do that, when we do that, you know what happens? This is what happens. Those who know us, but don't know God, they're gonna come to know God because they know us. May we be a church that looks for every opportunity, to serve those around us in love.